I love a good snowstorm, but if I don't expect it and I walk outside, I'm like, oh. And like this morning, like, like I didn't even expect to have to give out, get out the shovel. Next thing you know, the shovel's out. And I'm like, well, if the shovel's out here, that means it's going to be out at the church. And, you know, trying to just prepare for that. And, you know, but I am thankful that you have braved the weather. You are here. And so when you're here, let's be here. You know what I'm saying? Let's be mentally here because the, the reality is that I, I could be thinking about what I have to do after I leave here. But you know what? That's not worth it. That'll take care of itself when this is all done. Um, I, I just want to piggyback on the whole missions thing for a minute. You know, last May we had a business meeting. And at the business meeting we said, you know, our mission savings, we have a mission savings account where 5% of general tithing offering goes in there. I said, our mission saving isn't just for missions outside of the United States, it's, it's for here. And I want to encourage you, this is spurred on by the church, not by the pastor. Encourage you, you are in the community. You can understand community needs better than I ever could. And I better never hear, especially after the business meeting and for anyone who was there this last year, I better never hear, how come our pastor doesn't do anything locally? That's spurred on by the church, okay? It's spurred on by the church. And what I said, I said, I want you to just write a proposal. The board will do it. I want to tell you about uh, who, if you were here for Bob Laughlin's service, he was the prophet that was up on the screen, raise your hand. You will have seen a young man that was helping with the cameras that day. That is my good friend, Chris Kavan. Chris pastors Life Song Community Church that is across the street from East High. In his church, he has a couple of uh, guys who used to be in gangs that are now saved. And the, one has this little community shop where he sells a bunch of stuff at, at low cost for uh, people who can't afford much. And these two guys spurred on, you know what, we're going to bless people this Thanksgiving. And this small church of about 40 people spurred on by these two guys in the church. Chris, I, I sat down with him. He was here this week. And I, I said, hey, Chris, did... Like, did you lead this? How did this all happen? He says, no, it was these two guys. He says, they arranged everything. They had a drive up at their church last Saturday, the 18th. They fed 400 families for Thanksgiving. And I'm going to be honest. I was sitting there kicking myself. Because I thought, man, because they invited me to be a part of it, and I had something going on that day. And I just thought, you know what? We can do the same thing. It just needs spurred on. Now, maybe not necessarily that. You know, they're filling a need, obviously, for 400 families. But within you, and don't, don't do something because you see someone else doing something, and you think, that's what I got to do. Pray about it and see what God wants to do in you. Are you guys hearing me? I want to be so clear about this. You pray about it and see what God wants to do in you. Because it, it, so often we sit around going, man, God, send someone special to do something. And God's like, hello. You are right there in front of me, and you are the special one. So I, I encourage you, church, seek God in this. You know what I'm saying? Everyone on the same page as me. 
Okay, just so we're clear. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, as we continue in this series in 1 Peter, I, there are times where I plan a series because I, I pray about, I see the needs of the church. There are other times where I'm like, you know what, we need to learn the whole word of God. Who knows what I'm saying? And so that, that is crucial, and I believe with each and every message, the Holy Spirit can prepare in me what he wants to say to his people. And there, there are times where it feels like I have to kind of travail through a little bit. Um, th those who do planned classes on Sunday morning say amen to that. They kind of know what I'm talking about. There are times where you have to travail through, and there are other times where God speaks so clear. And the, the thing that I know when I read First Peter, it is hard for me to put myself in the shoes of someone who has suffered at the hands of others. So if we compared and contrasted the differences in people who are being persecuted with experiences in our culture, there's no real comparison, is there? And so in today's scripture, what we're going to read, Peter is speaking directly to those who are slaves or servants, and they don't have a choice in the matter. Now, we don't have slaves in our country even though they still very much exist around the world. And we did discuss last week that we do have those that are in authority over us and we should submit to those in authority, amen? As much as we don't like that word, we should. Now, Peter continues on that thinking, but he's focused on our attitudes. Everyone say attitude. He's focused on our attitude even in suffering at the hands of those who are in authority over us. Now here's the problem. True suffering can inflict trauma. And people respond to trauma differently. But our responses demonstrate if we trust a greater life that awaits us in eternity or if we are only focused on the present. Now, have you ever looked over the course of your life and felt you have suffered at the hands of someone else? I want you to hear this message today if that's you. And what I hope it does is it starts to bring healing to your life. Now, here's the thing that I know. When you, you, when you are going through some form of trauma, the Holy Spirit can bring healing immediately. But most of the time, it's not the case. You know, my wife and I have been looking over the course of our lives, and frankly, we're pretty fortunate. Um, I really don't know suffering, but there have been challenges that we have faced together in navigating what it means to be special needs parents and how society treats you that way. And Josiah, when he was younger, um, he did not have his Tourette's under control, and he'd have these loud verbal tics. And when we went out in public, inevitably, we would become the center of attention, whether we were shopping or whether we went out to a restaurant. It was just completely unavoidable. And some things had been said to us by complete strangers that made us so reclusive, we didn't want to go out of the house. And I remember, you know, if we needed to go shopping, one of us would go alone. If we wanted to go to a restaurant, we'd get takeout, and we lived 20 miles away from, from the nearest town, and we'd drive home, and the food would be cold. 
but we didn't want to do, have anything to do with public life for many years. And that's something that the Lord worked in and through us to kind of change our hearts and not caring about the perception of others. But the worst part of all that time was our attitudes toward others. It showed. It showed. It showed we had been hurt. We acted like people who were living in hurt. Why don't you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Peter's writing to those who are in hurt. Who knows what I'm talking about this morning? Who understands walking in hurt? I want us to read with that lens this morning. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray for those who are in this room that their heart immediately responded to walking in hurt. And God, for those who have continued on in this struggle, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to do a work right now and that, God, we can learn to walk in freedom. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I talk about suffering, there are two stark contrasts here just within this scripture. And the first one that stands out is there is suffering that is deserved. You guys know what I mean there? For instance, if you are, we're, we're talking on our move meetings yesterday. We had three team meetings. And we're talking about the dangers of using a four-inch grinder. Steve, you know what I'm talking about? The dangers, Rick, you know what I'm talking about? The danger of using a four-inch grinder, how you need to make sure you have protection. There is probably not another tool that can inflict more damage on a human being because of just, it's so careless. It's this machine that you turn on and all of a sudden that motor kicks and rips and the, the heavier the blade, who knows the more out of control the grinder can get, right? And we're talking about what it would mean to have proper protection. So if someone doesn't have proper protection and then gets nicked, sad to say they probably deserved it, right? 
It just, it, it is what it is. There are plenty of times where I have suffered because of my own decision making and sin. Now, in the places where it's been undeserved, I, I can say I've been pretty fortunate that every job that I ever had, I, I, I worked for a good boss or I aimed to be the best employee that I could. But let me tell you, when I was a child, there were many things that I had to learn the hard way. Got some hard-headed children in here? All right, amen. And, and that was me, and what I discovered was there were consequences for my actions. Now, in today's setting, as we're adults, perhaps we get passed up for a promotion at work because maybe we're not fully doing the work expected of us. Listen to what Peter says in uh, chapter 2, verse 20. He says, of course you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, something that we need to establish here is that I bring suffering on myself when I reap what I sow. In Galatians 6, 7, uh, Paul says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. One of my greatest examples of this, I love to watch reality cop shows where people are getting arrested and stuff like that. I don't know if you do, but I, I can binge that stuff if I have like nothing going on on a Saturday afternoon. And one of the greatest examples of suffering I see is how people react to when they are caught speeding. <laughs> when people are caught speeding, who is the one to blame? The cop. The cop is the one to blame, and we, we tend to blame the circumstances, and we might use excuses like, well, I was late to work, or I was late to church, so I had to speed. You don't understand. I had to speed. Like, all of a sudden, we have a divine right, you know? To use an, another example, sometimes poor health is nothing more than just a bad diet. Or sometimes loneliness can just be a product of uh, you having a lack of friends because you might walk in a bad attitude constantly and no one wants to be around you. Those things can happen. And there are so many aspects of life that we have the ability to change if we repent of our poor choices. You guys hear me? So this is the, this is the deserved stuff, and I know there, there are exceptions to every rule here in what we're talking about this morning, but our reality is God does punish sin. And there are some times that we suffer because of our sin, and it is deserved. He has given us examples of this thing. Think about King David when he slept with another man's wife. Think about God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and numerous times in dealing with the children of Israel where there was punishment because of what they were doing. But God's desire, check this out. This is God's desire because who knows we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. God's desire is to break our love for sin and focus on him. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. You see, it, when I received discipline as a kid, 
It was for my benefit. As a child, I translated, my parents hate me. Well, they didn't hate me. They didn't want me to run out in front of cars in the middle of the street, right? The, the, and, and so, in my mind, well, if you love me, you have a funny way of showing it because I'm getting disciplined here. But you know what? I learned. I learned. And this is God's loving way of bringing correction to our lives so that we know the right way in which we should go. But then there's ultimately what I want to get to today, and mostly the people Peter are writing to are those who are suffering because it's, and and they're in a situation and it's completely undeserved. Imagine just it's a different world, and you were a slave or you're a servant, and you are not afforded the opportunity to end the relationship. Now we know there's sometimes that slaves, they're gained their freedom, but if not, they're just stuck. They have no choices. Now, we live as free people where we are not slaves to our bosses. You can resign from that job. You can go out. You can find someone else. But what if you're born into a communist government? Then you might suffer because of the consequences out that, that are out of your control. And I can think of some who were born into homes where the situation is so dysfunctional and everything they are receiving is completely undeserved because of that dysfunctional home. I want you to know, Jesus Christ came for a suffering and hurting world. He came for those that are suffering because of their undeserved and deserved situations. I want you to know this morning that God came for those who feel held captive, those who are hurting, and he desires that you be set free. Now sometimes, I alluded to this right at the beginning of the message, sometimes that can come just because of a spiritual experience. Maybe you respond to a sermon and you come down to the altar and the Holy Spirit moves and all of a sudden the power of God is so strong that you can be changed in an instant. But I'm telling you that most of the time, it takes work. It takes walking in forgiveness There becomes this process of forgiveness and emotions that you're going to need to work through in order to be fully restored and healed to God's intended purpose. And so it becomes a question for you. Can you make the active steps to not conceal your past, not try and cover dirt up on it, but seek healing and to overcome what's in your past? Because God and what all he has accomplished on the cross, he has made us free. And so we need to walk like people who aren't carrying weight or burdens, and we need to be effective for the kingdom of God. So we need to walk in freedom, but I don't know about you, but I look at other Christians and I see lots of people who are not walking in freedom. They look like they're carrying burdens around with them wherever they go. So how do we correct that? Well, something Peter said struck me. He said, we need to patiently endure. 
You know, it seems like when he's talking about suffering, that suffering is almost fait accompli, that we're all going to experience it. And just because that we now have this newfound freedom in Christ, it doesn't mean that suffering ends. Who knows that? It doesn't mean that we're promised suffering is going to end. In fact, it should only speak to our attitudes in approaching how we suffer going forward. This is not one of those feel-good sermons where you're like, Pastor, I was hoping that you were going to tell me that once I give my life to Christ, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me again. Listen to what James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Who hears what James is saying and saying, that's a little sadistic? I don't know if I can get behind that. L listen to what he says, though. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I know a girl once that her mother used to run marathons. You know those 26-miler marathons? And she decided, I'm going to run a marathon with my mom. But I don't need to train for it. That girl couldn't walk for three days. Three days. She hurt so bad after that. And it speaks to that those who are marathon runners, what do they do? They slowly build up to those distances. And they can't just, they, they can't just go from running uh, uh, five miles to running 20. They have to slowly step up. Now what James is doing is he's encouraging this different approach in relation to experiencing trials and suffering that we need to be happy in it because it is perfecting our faith. And that is not the natural human reaction. Imagine you decide, you know what, I need to sharpen my faith, I need to sharpen my Christian witness, so I am going to intentionally surround myself with difficult people all the time. And by surrounding myself with all these difficult people, it's going to smooth off the rough edges in me. Now, this premise is kind of similar that the reality is that, that, that both these are true, that our, our fleshly reaction is to evade problems so that we can live in comfort. But what we find when you are challenged and when you're willing to meet that challenge and trust God, your faith is going to grow. But are you going to be okay with that? Are you going to accept it? Because I believe, check this out, church, I believe the more we learn to endure, the more we will be able to endure. Bigger situations and difficulties, and we will be able to better display Christ. You know, everyone here knows I'm pretty passionate about this thing called Move, and five guys are going to be going on this trip. And Next October, we do have a one-week trip to Trinidad, or Trinidad Tijuana. And uh, if, if any guys say, I want to be a part of that, man, let me know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out and get you connected. But what I've learned about doing these trips is the reason I like doing them 
is because God really puts my faith to the test. And I've been in some pretty challenging spots where I need to rely on God. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. At the time, I was ready to pull my hair out. I was a little panicked. But what I and this team of men did is we went to God. And what we have seen is that every time we go to God, God answers. Because we didn't have any other options. And we needed to rely on God. And what I have seen is that has strengthened my faith to where I have now endured that thing. I have experienced that before. And so I know the source that I need to go to in order to get through this situation. Are you hearing me? And so what God says is, okay, you, you've learned that lesson. But you haven't learned that I am the all-encompassing. I am everything to you. I am your source. I am your power. So now I am going to give you this bigger situation to endure. Are you going to step up? Are you going to meet the challenge? Are you going to allow your faith to be on display? That's what God wants. And if we're talking about suffering, if we're talking about everything through that prism, you know, there was no better display of suffering than the example of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter says in, in, our, in our main text this morning. In 1 Peter 2.23, he says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Now, when I'm suffering, let me tell you, my flesh, what it wants to do is, the, it, it, it wants to receive pity from others. Who knows what I'm saying? And then there's a lot of self-pity where I, I can be a pretty loathsome individual. Yet we have the opportunity to encounter on a daily basis people that have it much worse off than we do. I meet people every day where I'm like, I'm thankful for my situation. But in every situation I encounter, nothing can measure up to the suffering of Christ. Now here's the thing. You, you hear that and you think, Pastor, if I'm just to take Jesus for, for what he experienced, there are other people who have experienced dying on a cross, but no one experienced the depravity of all the sins of mankind at once, especially someone who was perfect. And that is the key here. Because you see with Jesus, Jesus came to the earth, he was fully God, fully man. He lived this sinless, perfect life. No one else on the face of the earth had ever accomplished that. So he became the perfect example for us, and he still experienced our sufferings and weaknesses. And so Jesus, he lived this completely blameless life, and yet the government and its people found him guilty. So what they did with this perfect man, they stripped him naked, they scourged him to the point where Scripture refers to him as being unrecognizable as a man. He's weakened and beaten nearly to death, and he was forced to carry a cross to the place that he would hang from it while there were onlookers who just watched. 
He wasn't able to make the journey, and a man was picked out of the crowd to carry the cross for him. And meanwhile, as he's going up, completely scourged, he's being mocked the entire time. At that moment, the God of the universe, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. The God of the universe, he could have called down a legion of angels. But scripture says he suffered in silence. Listen to Isaiah 53, 7. It says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Jesus chose in that moment to entrust himself to God. He embraced God sees all. God has my future. God had my past. And accepted that he would be rewarded. Check this out. He would be rewarded for his injustice. Church, I think you need to write this down. God rewards you for your suffering. Romans 8, 17, it says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So as you and I, we choose to share in his suffering, we accept a reward in doing so. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Listen, the, verse 12, be happy about it. Be very glad. It speaks to our attitude, doesn't it, church? For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, this is key. So if we're supposed to accept this cup of suffering, many people might be prone in their own flesh to say, well, I better receive glory and honor for what I've gone through. And I believe that many people carry on this cup of suffering where others are looking at them and they're like, okay, I need to really act the part. I need to act the part that I've been through a lot. I've been through some suffering and I need others to sympathize with what I'm going through. I think what we can learn through scripture, if our attitude is not in the right place, if as Jesus says, be happy and glad when you're going through suffering and we're not doing that, we all of a sudden, we eliminate the reward that waits, awaits us in heaven. Let me explain. As Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, it's the next chapter, he is talking about those who pray publicly only to be noticed. And then he's talking about those who fast, and when they fast, they make it obvious. Like in the Old Testament times, when they chose to fast, they would wear sackcloth, they'd cover themselves in ashes, they really wanted to look the part, oh, I am suffering here, I am mourning. 
And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, those who do that to be noticed, that's all the reward they'll ever get. So if our attitude becomes, I've suffered more than you, so I deserve thusly more, your heart's in the wrong place. Are you guys hearing me? Instead, this is what I want you to do. I want you to embrace what God has called you to. And I do believe he calls us into suffering. And what God asks you to do, it isn't going to be the same as me. So if you're looking for only a measure of suffering comparative to someone else in this church, you need to stop that right now. Don't compare your blessings. Don't compare your suffering. Don't compare your reward to someone else. Your life should be simplified in just seeking to obey him and be an example to others. I think when we do that, what God is going to do is that he is reconciling people to himself. Think about it this way, with Christ. Through Christ's suffering, we were brought back into right relationship with God. It took a suffering Savior in order for us to be in right, right relationship. Had Jesus not taken on the cross... You and I would not have reaped the benefits of being forgiven, right? His blood shed accomplished our sins being forgiven, and when God sees those who are in Christ, he sees a cleansed, righteous, undefiled child of his. That's all because of Jesus. Now, without Christ... That relationship doesn't exist, and sin remains. So Jesus, what he willingly did was he took this cup of suffering because he understood the greater work that was taking place. I want you to hear that again. Jesus Christ took the cup of suffering because he understood the greater work that was taking place. To him, your life was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And he knew he was achieving God's goal, even though it was difficult. So by his attitude and by his walk, we have come to believe in God and embrace this new life. Now, if we are going to apply what we have learned so far, then this is what God wants to do through our suffering. Through our suffering, others will be brought back into right relationship with God. I believe that. Because how you respond to your suffering speaks to where your faith is. And I want to say it again, do not buy into the prosperity thinking that this newfound faith that we have should all of a sudden cause us to avoid suffering. That's not the way it works. But if you follow Christ, you're going to face undeserved suffering. And you don't handle it with revenge. You seek to do good to your enemies. 
Listen to what Jesus says further on in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 43 through 45. He says, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that same way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the just and unjust alike. Your suffering might require you looking out for your boss's interest, even if they're crooked. It might require you ministering to your family that you said you wanted nothing to do with. What I encourage you to do, entrust yourself to your heavenly Father. And what he is going to do is he is going to reward you and he may use your suffering as an example to others. I'm going to tell you a story. It's my first pastorate. I'm 27 years old, you know. Connor, that sounds scary, doesn't it, dude? <laughs> 27 years old and I'm taking on my first pastorate and there's this woman in the church that Wendy and I became very close with. Her name was Cheryl. And Cheryl was in her upper 50s, and she was beautiful, vibrant. And uh, she liked hanging out with Wendy and I. But we never met her husband. Cheryl would be there. If the church doors were open, Cheryl was there. And one night, we, we were going to go to a movie with her, and we, we went to this movie, and we're, we're sitting at this restaurant, and she orders just set of fries and she said she hadn't ate anything all day and she barely eats those she's like I just I don't feel good and I I remember saying to Wendy at the time I'm like that's weird but we we just let it go and very quickly within the next week she's hospitalized she's got an evasive cancer that's taken completely over and I meet her husband and within a month and a half, Cheryl's dead. And I remember thinking at the time, she didn't deserve that. God, I, I don't understand. We, we prayed, we believed, and yet she didn't deserve that. But through meeting her husband and the funeral, and Wendy and I loved Cheryl so much, we just said, you know, I... I want to commit to this guy. And even though they lived 26 miles away from the church, they lived 32 miles away from Wendy and I, I said, I'm going to go visit him once a week. And once a week, I'd meet Lonnie, and we would go out for lunch. Or we'd go golfing, even though I don't like to golf. We'd, we'd find something to do together. And it was a couple months of me doing that. Then one Sunday, like every other Sunday, I look up right as the church is about to start, and in walks Lonnie. And then for a month straight, Lonnie's there. And then one Sunday, Lonnie gives his life to the Lord. And I remember going and meeting Lonnie that week. And he said, I just don't understand. Why Cheryl? And I said, brother, I believe that if Cheryl was still living, 
you wouldn't be where you're at today. And as much as I know you're suffering because Cheryl's gone, you've got that same hope in eternity because her life, even in death, is a testimony unto the Lord. And here's the thing that I know. I know that we all go through different experiences and we face tragedies and terrible things and, and that you have suffered at the hands of others and that is awful. There's no excuse for it. But God can take every hand of suffering that we've experienced and use it to his glory if we let him. Are you hearing me? God can do that. And so your suffering can speak to others if you keep reflecting Christ and if you keep your eyes on him. And then what that is going to do is that is going to give you the right perspective and you are going to be able to just embrace eternal life for what it is and let go of this temporary life and say, you know what, none of that really matters in the end. And I'm speaking as someone who knows it's not easy. I need redirected all the time. That's why God made the church. Right? He didn't promise to be easy. But he did tell us we, we need each other. And I believe that's why God's, Jesus is where two or more are gathered. We need each other. We can't do it alone. What I want you to do is I want you to just bow your heads right now. I, I, I need you to have a private time. And I want to call my prayer altar team forward. I want to call, if you're a board member, I want to call you forward. You know, it's a funny thing. perspective so easy for us to look at people in the church and just see the way they act or maybe the, the way they dress and think they've never had it difficult well they might have just carried the right attitude he wouldn't be afraid to admit it if he was here George Hawkins Smith for those who know George one day in a public service, he said, Pastor, I thought you had a, you were always, grew up with a silver spoon. I had no idea. It's like, guys, we all have our own suffering in some way. And you might be here today and you might be dealing with trauma. And here's the thing I believe. God wants you to surrender it over to him. And the people that are standing up here, they want to walk you through that. They want to see you set free. They don't want to see you carrying this burden anymore. And so what I want to do right now is I want us to stand. And I want us to just sing out right now and invite the Spirit of God in this place. 
Because I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging some of us to step out because that step of action, it, it reveals something. It's, it's saying, I'm not going to cover dirt up on this. I'm not going to ignore it. I want to be released from this. So I think we need to allow ourselves to be open to the Spirit of God right now. Let's sing.